You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Great. It is a wonderful privilege to uh, speak to you from the Bible. If you've got a Bible, I'd love it if you could turn to Esther. Esther is a book in the Old Testament. This is a true story. It happened two and a half thousand years ago in a place called Susa, which is the capital of Persia. This Jewish girl becomes queen. She wins a competition. The previous queen has been sacked because she disobeys her husband, Haman. And if you've been coming for the last four weeks, you know as soon as I say that word, you should be booing. He's the prime minister. He's a bad man. And he gets permission from the king to destroy all the Jews. Mordecai is Esther's uncle. He's a good man. You'd all be going, yay. He works at the city gate in admin And Haman so hates him that he plans to hang him. Now, we can sometimes miss some of the nuances of the Bible because we read it just from today. The reality is this this one chapter we're going to look at is considered the most uh, comedy, irony chapter of the whole Bible. Ah, suddenly you think. So I've got some pictures here which I thought might try and help us make it. On the road to success, there are no shortcuts. If you look at that, you think that lorry has made a, a, a terrible mistake. Hasn't it? You think that is irony. That is the kind of thing that would happen in this chapter. We can look at the next one. No worries. There's something, that boat is in trouble, wouldn't you say? You'd look at that and think, man, this is, this is, that's irony. The next one. Yeah, the school sign is spelt wrong in case you didn't quite pick that one up. Here they are painting a sign outside on the road and they've spelt school. I mean, how ironic is that? That's where you go to learn. What's the next one? Thank you for driving carefully and there's a car in the hedge. So many of you say, oh, that's what irony looks like. I don't know if I've got any more. This is on Baker Street, the underground. There's Sherlock Holmes. He's on the tile on the wall and there's the sign, no smoking. How ironic is that? Everybody knows Sherlock Holmes was smoking. I think it's the last one. Psychic fair cancelled due to unforeseen circumstances. I thought that to me just seems a bit ironic, doesn't it? Why on earth would it be cancelled? Now, when you got to Esther 6, you'd have been thinking, how ironic. So let's read it with that in mind and, uh, and believe that God's going to speak to us. Mordecai honoured, it says in mine, that night the king could not sleep. So he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bithynia and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. There you go. (laughs) What honor and recognition had Mordecai received for this? The king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. The king said, who is in the court? Now Haman, you should be booing, had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows he had erected for himself. The king had not slept all night, and so he'd asked for reading. Haman had not slept all night, he was having these gallows built. Bring him in, the the king ordered. When Haman entered, the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought to himself, 
Who is there that the king would rather honor than me? So he answered the king, For the man the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn, and a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to the one the king's most noble princes. Then let the... Then let them robe the man, and the king delights to honor, and lead him on the horse through the city streets. This is like an Olympic parade years ago. Proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Go at once, the king commanded Haman. Get the robe and the horse, and do just as you've suggested. Haman must be thinking, this is my day. Until it says, for Mordecai, the Jew, who sits at the king's gate, do not neglect anything you have recommended. So Haman got the robe and the horse. He rode Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Afterwards, Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief and told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. His advisors and his wife, Zeresh, said to him, Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet Esther had prepared. Father, we ask that you would speak to us this morning. Lord, it's been so wonderful to worship you and to know that you're so keen to speak to us. We ask now as we look at your word that it it won't just be, oh, the irony, but Lord, we pray you'd speak right into our hearts. God, we don't want to come and, and just have our heads tickled. We do genuinely say, God, speak to our hearts that we will go away different in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, I'm going to unpack this in the next few moments. The first thing I just want to say is this. I believe the first point I'd bring out of this is that there's something of the providence of God. Providence of God. If you've not picked this book up, and some of you might be visiting, you know, we know that Esther's been queen for about five years, and there's only been five chapters. And so the story has been going at some kind of pace. But suddenly it's getting so exciting that they slowed the whole thing down so that one night is recorded literally in one chapter. It's almost like God says, I don't want you to miss the details. So what were the details? The details were this. Haman so hated Mordecai that he couldn't wait until all the Jews were killed. He thought, I've just got to take that one out beforehand. So he had some gallows built 75 foot high. I mean, I I don't know how high that sort of ceiling is. I mean, 60 foot, do you reckon? Higher than that, gallows. Why was that? Because basically he wanted to kill him and make a public example of him. It just so happens. This chapter is full of just so happens. I love it, don't you? The, the, the king cannot sleep, just so happens. I don't know if, you, if it's, maybe it's just me, I read this as a bloke. I cannot understand when you've got so many wives, when you can't sleep, you want to read a book. But it just so happens, doesn't it? 
that they say, come on, let's read. Just so happens. Just so happens that the bit they read is about Mordecai. And if you've read the book, you know that actually this story happened in chapter 2. Just so happens. Just so happens that the king had not rewarded him. That would have been very unusual. Why did the king reward? The king rewarded to make an example of someone. Look, you've protected me. Well, I'll reward you so that other people want to protect me too. But it just so happens, in this case, the king had done nothing, and this was about four years ago. Just so happens. Just so happens that Haman is so keen to get rid of Mordecai that he's not slept that night, and he's got in early. Because you know that the king would have been busy, and if he'd have got into the court first thing in the morning, maybe I'd have been beckoned in. Maybe I could get, it, I could get Mordecai killed. Just so happens. If you've uh, been with us, you know that in the book of Esther, God is not specifically mentioned. But actually, God's providence is the whole way through it. You see, God is not mentioned. The people almost live as if God is not around, but God still works. The Lord is in charge. Although his presence is unseen, he is no less real. I mean, that's incredible, really, isn't it? Sometimes in the Bible, we read about the miracles of God. I mean, I love all that kind of stuff, don't you? When, when the people were slaves in Egypt, and there was this ruler, Pharaoh, that had kept them as slaves for 400 years, what does God do? He sends down all these plagues, miracles, and then they cross over the Red Sea. Miracle! That is the visible provision of God. I believe that this was just the much the provision of God, but it was invisible. Why do I say that? You see, my Bible says the king could not sleep. But another Bible that I read said this, the Lord took sleep from the king that night. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because what it's really saying is that God was at work. And the king thought, oh, I can't sleep. Oh, go and read me a book. And suddenly the whole book turns on this one chapter. But actually, if we really read it, it's like the Lord took sleep from the king that night. What are the incidences that are happening in your life that you think, oh, it's just so happened? God is in charge. We believe that, don't we? Sometimes I think the danger is that we get up and we pray to God first thing in the morning and then we live like fatalists throughout the rest of the day. Oh, what will be, will be. We walk by faith. Who knows? Just so happens. Just so happens you met that person. Just so happens that I, you know, we've had the A-level results have been out this week, haven't they? I applied to go to a place to, to, to university. And when they heard that I was coming, they shut down the whole course. <laughs> that, this is a totally true story. I, I, I turned down Avery Hill College where I was going to train to be a teacher. And I wanted to go to Portsmouth. The reason I want to go to Portsmouth is because they had a windsurfing club, nothing to do with the course, and I'd always fancied learning to windsurf. I took a year out, served God for the year, and in my year out, they shut down the whole course. So I applied to go back to Averhill, and I went to Averhill. Just so happens, that's where I met my wife. <sighs> for her or for me, we can talk about that one later, you know what I'm saying? Just so happens, there's God's in charge. Do we believe that? It, but it says in Acts, doesn't it, exact times and places where we live. Oh, I believe that. 
I believe that if you look at the book of Esther, even in the seemingly mundane, seemingly ordinary, God's at work. I think that's true right the way through the Bible, isn't it? Teenage girl gives birth in Bethlehem. God is working through the ordinary to save his people. Boy grows up as a carpenter, dies on a cross. It's almost like, oh, just this ordinary thing, but the providence of God was there every step of the way. I don't know everything that's going on in your life now, but I do believe that actually God is involved. Assume it. Maybe you didn't quite get the grades you wanted this week. God is in charge. Maybe you think, I didn't quite get that promotion I thought. God is in charge. We've got to look at the Bible and think, actually, God is in charge. You cannot look at the life of Esther and think, God isn't there. He is. I've gone for three Ps this week, trying to make it easy for you. First one, providence. Second one, pride. Not the nicest one. I've got another point. Stick with me. Haman is an example of pride. Self-glorification, self-love, self-help, self-actulation, call it what you like, it was basically pride. Despite the fact, or maybe even because he was, the prime minister at the time, he cannot help thinking about himself. This can be quite sobering, really, can't it? When it's asked what should be done for the man the king wants to honor, he can't think beyond himself. He didn't stop to think, who might that person be? He didn't even have the, the, the sort of sense to say to the king, who are you talking about? He just assumed it was himself. He didn't ask for land. He didn't ask for money. He probably had plenty. He wanted recognition. And so if you, we could unpack it all, I wish I had more time to go through it. The robe, I mean, literally, he's saying to the king, the robe that you wear. We all know kings would have had impressive robes. The, ro- the robe you wear, I'd like to wear it. Wow. The horse that you ride on, I want to ride on that horse. The crown. Now, it's funny because in, in my translation, it talks about a crest, and they think the horses used to have this. It was almost like a, a, instead of a crown for a king, they'd put a crest upon a horse, and it signified that this horse belongs to the king. Actually, the crown, the symbol of reign and authority that is here, I want it. Put it on me. The prince. Don't you love this? Even the prince that you think, well, prince one day will become king. He's to lead me. Because actually I'm more important. You know, it's literally, I want a parade. We, we know that it was round the city square. The city square was right at the heart of it. I mean, it's a bit like me saying, come, let's just walk along Ealing Broadway now. Maybe we should do it. If, if this helps you, just if it helps you, you could all bow down to me outside the town hall. Just to bring the scripture alive. You know what I'm saying? Oh, wow, that's incredible. That's incredible. We're not quite as blatant as that. But that's how he was. In fact, if we're really honest, the only thing he didn't ask for was the king's wife. It's almost like, I want your whole life. Didn't quite go there. Haman wants to be king. In fact, the robe, the horse, the crown, the prince, the parade is probably a succession symbol. He's fundamentally saying, I want to be you. I'm top dog. 
I'm prime minister now. In fact, some commentators even reckon that the two guys that I told you about that Mordecai exposed possibly worked for him. And that earlier on, he tried to have the king bumped off by getting these two guards to allow someone in. Haman finds out about it, protects the king. It's even now, Mordecai found out, Haman's almost saying, now in some respect, you think, golly, how proud can you get? Until I hold a mirror up and think, what about myself? In some respect, we think his pride is almost funny until we discover that it's fatal. What about us? If I'm brutally honest, you know, do, do I say, oh, this is what I can do? And then realize actually every gift I have comes from God. My pride, you, it, it's almost funny until I think, where will it lead me? Do you know what I find so tragic about Haman? He suddenly realizes he's in trouble. He runs home to his wife. I can understand that. Help! But what does he do? He grieves but doesn't repent. He says to his wife, oh, no, but he doesn't repent. And if we're really honest, so much of our pride can be the same thing. I hate the fact that I've been caught, but am I really sorry for what I did? Suddenly, we can see this. This is what pride, even in his grief, he he was trying to protect himself. How will I get out of it? Jonathan Edwards, he was a great preacher in the 1700s, said this, Pride is the chief viper in my own heart. My own. It's almost like, oh, it's right in there. Pride. Bear Grylls, the British adventurer, writer and TV presenter, said this, A man's pride can be his downfall, and he needs to learn when to turn to others for support and guidance. How good are you? We know from the Bible, don't we, in Proverbs, it's a book full of wisdom in the Old Testament, principles. It says, the Lord detests the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. And if we think that's just the Old Testament in the New Testament after the life of Jesus, we know that 1 Peter 5 says this, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Let me ask you a question. Are you proud? How do you know? Well, here's a few things that might help you determine. Do you crave attention, honor, recognition, and reward? Do you get angry when overlooked? It might be symptomatic that you're proud. Do you always have to win? I'd just like to state now that if you're a dad, that doesn't apply to board games with you and your kids. But maybe it does. Do we always have to win? Is that pride? Or do you lack ambition for fear of failure and how it would make you look? Is that pride? Do you tend towards an attitude of entitlement or thankfulness? I deserve, I should have, it's me. Or are you really thankful for what you have? Do you have a hard time fully admitting, fully admitting that you are wrong? Do you have lots of conflicts with other people? Do you become jealous or critical of people who succeed? It's a good list. I probably did all of them. I probably still do. Joyce Meyer, many of you have heard of her, the Christian author and speaker, says this, Pride is an independent, me-orientated spirit. 
It makes people arrogant, rude, and hard to get along with. When our heart is prideful, we don't give God the credit, and we mistreat people, looking down on them and thinking we deserve what we have. As I said, three Ps. I'm going to move swiftly on. My wife told me off for this one. She said, that's stretching it. Mordecai, picture of humility. So we've got the providence of God, pride, and a picture of humility. Mordecai in this book is the faithful servant. The king's gate was not a gate. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't like Mordecai just sat at the gate all day. Well, what are you doing? I'm just sitting at the gate watching people go by. We think the king's gate was actually more like an admin center. If anything, I was thinking, oh, could you put it down as parliament? I don't quite know, but you know what I'm saying. It was that. He had a specific role, did a specific job. It was probably some kind of administrative job. He had the king's gate and was humble. Haman had the king's ear and was proud. Mordecai, though, he'd not complained when he'd been overlooked. He didn't complain that he hadn't been rewarded. He didn't say, you don't hear of him grumbling. In fact, what I found absolutely fascinating with this is what happened at the end of the parade. Think about it. If you've been on a parade, and I hope they do do a parade for the Olympians in London. I will be there, you know what I'm saying? But you know, if you've been on a parade like that, what, what happens to these Olympic people when they've just finished their parade? You know, they've gone along on the open-top bus. They've, they've videoed everything on their phone. Do you think they put their stuff on and go and train, or do you think they have a night off? I would have thought a night off. Thanks, Julie. I appreciate that. <laughs> they probably have a night off. What did Mordecai do at the end of his parade? It tells us. He goes straight back to work. So afterwards, Mordecai is back at the city gate. He wasn't proud. He didn't get caught up in himself. He didn't take the afternoon off. <laughs> Did you think the robe was my colour? In fact, I think we should have done two laps to the gate. No, no, he wasn't like that at all. Mordecai thought, I'll go straight back to work. That is a true picture of humility. C.S. Lewis, the British novelist, poet, and academic, said this, the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. That's a challenge for us, isn't it? Michelle Obama, American lawyer, writer, and the first lady says this, we learned about gratitude and humility. That so many people had a hand in our success, from the teachers who inspired us to the janitors who kept our school clean, and we were taught to value everyone's contribution and treat everyone with respect. A sign of humility. It's fascinating, isn't it? And this is the irony of the whole chapter. What Haman desired, Mordecai deserved. So Haman was proud and was grabbing, but actually it was intended for Mordecai. Surely we can think of no other example than Jesus Christ, who really is the true humble one. We think so often of Mordecai, but actually we think, surely, if we had to think someone in the Bible that's truly humble, we would think of Jesus. When Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, he used these words, Philippians chapter 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, 
who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Grasp is what we used to say. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So if I really had to look at this, I think, wow, there's a wonderful picture of the providence of God. There's a wonderful challenge of actually not being proud. There's a wonderful portrait of humility. Jesus is just incredible. I think of Jesus compared to Mordecai, I think actually it's even more so if you think of Jesus compared to Haman. Haman wanted to be the the man that the king delighted to honor. We know that Jesus is the man that our king in heaven delights to honor. He's exalted him. We know that Haman wanted to wear the king's robes. We know that Jesus was prepared to be stripped of his robes so that we can be forgiven. We know that Haman wanted to have this crown upon the horse to almost signify his royalty. We know that Jesus endured a cross of thorns, a crown of thorns. He wore that for us. We know that Haman never repented of his sin. We know Jesus had no sin to repent of. We know that Haman plotted to kill all God's people. We know that Jesus died to save all of God's people. We know that Haman craved public honor. We know that Jesus accepted public shame. We know that Haman wouldn't forgive one man Mordecai for one thing. You won't bow down. We know that Jesus Christ will forgive you of everything if you come and say sorry. I mean, it's incredible, isn't it? We know that Haman had planned to crucify, hang on the gallows, Mordecai the next day. And yet we know that Jesus Christ was crucified for his enemies. We know that Haman exalted himself and gets humbled. Whereas we know that Jesus Christ humbled himself and God exalts him. Doesn't it make you just, you look at this chapter and you just think, oh, wow. If I'm brutally honest, I sometimes think I can be more like Haman than Mordecai. And then it makes me appreciate the greatness of Jesus even more. Oh, Jesus, that you would do that for me? Doesn't it blow your minds? going to skip the next slide, Isaac. C.J. Mahaney says this. He's an American minister. The presence of any humility in my life is purely and completely an evidence of God's grace. 
From my perspective, I'm not a humble man. I'm a proud man pursuing humility by the grace of God. I guess I just want to challenge us out of this irony of this chapter. Oh, could we be more and more focused upon Jesus? You will not become more humble by walking away thinking, how can I, how can I, how can I be more humble? You become more humble by thinking less of yourself. Ultimately, we're captivated by him and the Jesus we serve, and it will change everything. Let's pray. Jesus, when we stop and look at you, we feel like we lose our breath. Honestly, I find mind-blowing all that you would do for me. That I can be forgiven. You don't treat me as my sin deserves. You come by your grace. I thank you so much for that. I thank you, Jesus, that you're prepared to leave all the glory of heaven and come to this earth. You're prepared not only to do that, but to die on a cross for me. Jesus, I do want to be one who comes and fixes my gaze upon you today and every day. You know when I can find it, we can find it, a challenge to get proud, things we've done well. I pray every day we keep our eyes firmly fixed upon you for your glory. Amen.